Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, coming off our fine Labor Day weekend. We had college football kickoff this last weekend. It was a lot of fun, a lot of places to go, a lot of things to see. But right now, we're going to talk about Rangers, and sitting across from me is Evan Grant with his eyes, his eyebrows raised. God, you sound terrible. Do I really? Yeah. I sounded a lot worse a couple of days ago. What was your problem? I, I guess just allergies. Same old stuff. You know, I went down to uh, last Thursday, went down and did the uh, the funeral for Reveille. And, uh, and I'm doing a moment of silence. For yeah, Reveille. there we go. I, I didn't read your I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't read your. Oh, thanks. Appreciate I, that. I did not. I was I, uh, we've kind of reached max stress level. Critical here. mass here. Yeah. Um, but uh, so tell me a little bit about the uh, well, we'll, about the whole ceremony. We'll get to that later in our college podcast. Oh, that's podcast. right. We're, we're, we're on in our Rangers podcast. Yeah. But I just wanted to say that right in the middle of that ceremony, I broke out in the weirdest thing is ever one of the weirdest things that's ever happened in my in my life. I, I just started sweating profusely and on a very cool morning in the shade, right? And I was kind of in the middle of everything. I was standing next to a barrier, a barricade. And I thought, I, I think I'm gonna, I might end up fainting right here, and that would really be bad in the middle of the funeral, wouldn't it? So I pulled myself over to the side, and uh, and I kind of just, as as you might say, sweated it out. Um, I didn't feel great after that, but I thought, oh, what if I'm having a heart attack right here? That was that was the other thought that was going through my mind. Not a good time for that to happen to you, you know, right in the middle of an assignment. So. No, at any rate. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about those Rangers and the fact that you know we we saw the very first opener for the Rangers in Rangers history. Jeffrey Springs will have that going for him now for the rest of his life. He was the very first opener for the well, Rangers. Well, let's be clear. I th- there have been some other times when pitchers have pitched. <laughs> That's true. As a starter. I remember several by Ryan Glenn, who I think I nicknamed at that point in time the Espresso. <laughs> um, because he could jumpstart even an opposing somnambulant off. I like it. Um, but, yeah, I, last night was the first time that they did it on purpose. Um Using Jeffrey Springs for two innings and then bringing in Ariel Harado. And I, I think that I've had a lot of questions from a lot of people about, like, what's the purpose of all this and, and what do they hope to gain? And uh, let's, I, I think let, we can take these kind of piece by piece. If you've got questions about it. I, well, I, well I, yeah, here, here's because, you know, it was interesting listening to it because I was watching it on TV last night and, and uh, the, the guys uh, on the broadcast, uh, CJ and Dave Raymond, uh, were, you know, and I and I think you know raising legitimate questions. Like at one point they said, "Why not bring in Sadzik before you bring in Harado?" At this point, and and then at one point CJ also said, "I think that five batters would be optimal for the guy who's the opener." You know, so there were there are apparently well, CJ you know, and I talked about this last night. Let, let's go through. A couple okay, of all right, go through those. Um, the idea of. Uh, the idea of, of having your opener pitch either an inning or two, um, certainly the roster is a little bit differently set up right now with with thirty three players on it as opposed to during the the core the right the bulk of the season. But the idea is you want that guy to pitch an inning or two innings, and then hand it off to the primary pitcher right if you've got to use somebody to come in and get that third out of the 
second inning. Right. Now all of a sudden you you burn three pitchers in the first three innings. And but, you're trying not to do that. But you don't want a you don't want a, a starter coming in in the middle of an inning with with people no, on base. No. Uh, but you're you're what you want is you either want to hold that guy to the first three hitters because mm-hmm. those are the 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 primary offensive targets. Yeah. Or you want him to get through the first two innings so that you can then hand it over and uh, and really extend the window that the uh, that the primary pitcher can can work before he faces one, two, and three a third time. Right. Um, and so what happened last night was that uh, Sadzik was up and warming in the second inning when Jeffrey Springs got into a little bit of trouble. Uh, they weren't going to bring Harado in un- unless there was a clean inning. Uh, so they weren't going to bring him in until the start of an inning. Okay. Um, Jeff Bannister made that clear after the game. Now, the, the question I did have that I didn't get a chance to ask Jeff Bannister last night after the game was you had Sadzik up in the second inning, mm-hmm. and then you ended up ending up, ended up bringing him in in the seventh. Right. Now, is that too much time yeah. in between? I think maybe that's why they were saying that uh, why not go with Sadzik now if you already Once got him Once you get him up, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that's something you've got to work out a little bit too. But yeah. I think that the idea here is, particularly with some young with some guys at the back end of a rotation. You're not going to do this with all five spots in a rotation. No. This is a supplemental thing to try and They're not going to do it with Minor and they're not going to do it with Giovanni Gallardo. We're worried more about 2019. So they're not going to do it with Minor. I'm just saying this and, year and right then, now. Yeah, and and they've got they're going to have other spots that they've got to fill, but you can't do it for all five spots. You can't really do it for four spots. It's just it's too many moving pieces, but you can supplement the back end of a rotation, which is what Tampa has, I think, successfully done this year, and is a big reason. You know, I think they've played about 500 ball um, in their opener yeah, that, starts. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah, uh, I think last night when I did a rough, kind of a rough estimate, it was I think they had played three games over 500, and and that's helped them keep their heads above water. And they they were 10 games above 500 going into last night. Uh, and if this was a normal year in the American League, that would keep them in the heart of the the wild card race. But uh, you know, the the worst wild card team right now is twenty five games above five hundred. So it, it's rendered everything kind of moot. Let me ask you this real quick: uh, Was that Kevin Cash's idea in Tampa Bay to do that? Well, I you know I tried to get to the bottom of this. The I, I think everything comes out of the front office there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that. Several years ago, I wrote a story here about a kid named Hamilton Marks who uh, graduated from from high school and uh, here, I forget if he went to St. Marks or where he went to high school, but he graduated from high school here, um, had uh, had worked in the area for a couple years, went to Duke, I believe it was, as a grad student, and... Um, ended up presenting a paper at the Sloan Athletic Conference about the idea of monster relievers and turning your your entire pitching staff basically over to this, these monster relievers. Well, Hamilton Marks went to work for the Rays after mm. he got out of after he after he got done at, at Duke and and so I have a feeling that his conversation in the front office was um was part of it and I think also that this is uh, his idea, I, I think, if I remember that paper correctly, was basically nothing but a bunch of one-inning pitchers, and mm-hmm. and you just can't. It, it, no. it, it doesn't work with with the pitching staff. Um, but I think this is some degree of of taking an analytic idea that you know in numbers shows a whole lot of success, 
and then applying it to real time, which I think the, the, the front office did, and, and I think there was input from Kevin Cash there. So, uh, what and what they did is, you know, they had, at the beginning of the season, they had Blake Snell, they had Chris Archer, um, and I believe, you. I don't know if Uvalde began the season on the active roster, but they basically had three starters, and they've supplemented it with the with these two guys at the back, with, with these two openers at the, at the back end. Um, and it's morphed into this thing where you get an inning or two out of the first guy, and then you try and get through at least two. You want to get through two trips through the full order. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the way Jeff Bannister explained it to me is, okay, your, your first three hitters in the, in the opponent's lineup, those are the biggest offensive threats. Let's hope so. They are. I mean, they are, and, and the way lineups are stacked now, the number two hitter is often the best offensive threat, and the number three hitter is the best run producer. Uh, and, and so for for guys, you know, the third time through the order facing facing a lineup, that's when the biggest penalty comes into effect. So if you can take those first three guys out of the mix and then have your guy come in and face four, five, six, and down, mm-hmm. he can face 24 hitters before he's got to face one, two, three a third time. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent of six extra hitters before he'd face one, two, three, as compared to being in a traditional setup. So you could get an extra inning out of that guy, potentially. Um, Maybe that gets you uh, five or six innings out of that guy, as opposed to four or five. Um, And it it potentially gives you the opportunity to keep the the opponent's one, two, three hitters maybe a little bit more off balance, because in a situation like last night, they come out, they're facing a lefty in Jeffrey Springs, and then they've got to come in and face a right-hander who's throwing sinkers uh, the next mm-hmm. time around. So the, that's where the Rangers see the application, and I think that in general is how how teams have approached this this year. Tampa Bay obviously is far and away the leader in, in, in doing this, uh, but other teams are, are starting to um, – you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Thanks. Other teams are starting to experiment more with it, and I think the Rangers will continue this experiment throughout September. and And I think that there are some things that that will kind of uh, arise as they go along. You know, one thing Jeff Bannister brought up last night after the game was, okay, well, let's say the Rangers had taken a, a lead going to the seventh inning because he let Hirado. Hirado had only pit, faced fourteen hitters, I think, at that point in time. Um, it's only two over the minimum through the first four innings. Does he let Hirado start a fifth inning, or does he does he go to the bullpen there? And those are things that the Rangers are going to have to work out. But that's why I feel like September, this team need this team's pitching is horrendous, is awful. Yeah. Looking at the future, they've got one starter for 2019. Yeah, gonna, they're going to have to rebuild the back end of the bullpen ahead of Jose Leclerc. Um, they have got to look at just about any and all potential solutions for supplementing the the pitching staff. Which is why they, sh- in my mind, they should have gone to this all a little sooner. Uh, you know, instead of uh, you know waiting to this late date. I mean, we talked about this in the spring, as as we noted last week, we, we the possibilities that they the, might do. Well, the six the man rotation. Yeah. Well, you, you know, just talking about doing anything that's you know unconventional. Uh, I was for I'm for them trying in a season like this. Roll it out there. You give it all a shot. And, you know, they, they let that whole Cole Hamels thing kind of, you know, oh, okay, Cole doesn't want to do this, so let's not do it. And, you know, and so they all they all just sat back. 
And reason really I brought it to Kevin that, Cash. It really played out that way, like that Cole, di- like Cole dictated it. Yeah, um, because it did I, I got the impression up until Cole said, you know, I'm not real big on this, that the Rangers were full steam ahead on we're going to try some degree of a six man. Right. Um, and maybe maybe we're misinterpreting, but it certainly it certainly played out like Cole said. Yeah, this Hold is up. yeah, this is minor league stuff. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any. I think it's exactly what happened. And I and I and that reason I brought up the Kevin Cash thing was because. Because of course he was one of the finalists for the job, right. and and one of the reasons he was the finalist for the job is because John Daniels was entertaining the idea of having guys, coaches who or managers who are going to be a little more, you know, forward thinking, a little more outside the box, and so uh, so that happened in Tampa Bay, and it happened sooner than. It's not to say, oh my gosh, they've missed a huge chance here. They're they're they're, they're taking it now, and I, that's good. No, uh, I I think your I think your point on cash is is well made, and I think that. Um, I think that uh, I'll, I'll answer that. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. Well, anyway, just, just that uh, I think that they they I don't want you to cough again. No, no. So the, the the thing is, they've got this done now, and and apparently they're going to try this, and and you know who knows whether it works. I get I get the reasons for it. I get I understand everything you're doing here. I guess you know what it counts on. Really, we're, we're talking about taking. You know, the the initial thought was this was for Martin Perez, you know, because he's he struggles so much in the first inning. He struggles so much in the first inning. He struggles so much the third time through. He, I mean, yes, he, you can you can slice up Martin Perez's numbers this year, which are yeah, pretty pretty bad. And any any way you want to apply an opener in front of him would work. And yes, I thought that that was what they would do with Martin Perez. But I also think that the, we can get into Martin Perez a little bit. The idea of looking at him in a bullpen role right now is also worthwhile. Right. But my but the only point for me is that all right now Jeffrey Springs did a great job. And one of the things that CJ noted on the broadcast last night is I've never seen him so focused. He looks really focused. So that worked out great for him. Now, is it gonna work out great for anybody else they throw in at that point who's been a reliever? You know, now a lot of these guys, all, all of them started out as starters at one time. Right. So it's not going to be completely unusual for them to to come in to start a game, uh, and and maybe they, you know, they'd well, the be guys better. That they with felt it. like would be good candidates. Chris Martin was the guy that they had initially thought about in that role. Mm-hmm. I think they feel right now with now with Gearin also gone that Martin is one of their better late inning options. Yeah, not that they have a whole lot of them. Um, for me. Given the idea, like particularly if you're gonna, let's say you're gonna um, bring in a left-hander to right. follow up, I wouldn't have an issue with running Connor Sadzik out there in the first inning. You're throwing 100 miles an hour in the first inning from the right side with a guy who's six six, or and and then the next thing you you know you bring in a guy like say a Perez or somebody who's throwing from a different arm angle and from a different side. Yeah. I think you do throw a lineup off. I think so, and I think these are all worthwhile pursuits. You know, these are the things they should be doing, uh, trying new things, different things, and, and, you know, and for that matter. They can't lose doing these things. No. Because I mean, the season is not about results. It's it's about fact-finding for 2019. Well, whatever else you're going to want to do, too. I, I think it's a shame that they're not going to be able to because, you know, I, I get why, you know, somebody like Willie Calhoun is not going to get at bats now because you're trying to you're trying to get the – still find out about Gallo and Mazzara at this you, point, you, you know. You need Gallo and Mazar to both finish off the year. You need Profar to finish off the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And listen, Mazar didn't have a big game last night, but he had had homers in three straight games. And this is a guy who the first two Septembers, he faded. Uh Um, 
I think he's he, he hit 213 and 237 in 16 and 17 in September. Um, his OPS was 700 or below in both those months. You want to see No More Mazzara finish strong. Yeah. And uh, those those three games over the weekend was a real was a real good step in the right direction for him. Yeah. But yeah, this is and this is why Scott Heineman, who I think on merit deserves a call up. But my question all along was, where are you going to play him? How old is Scott Heineman? Scott will be 26 at the start of next season. Ooh, that's too bad. I uh, he's he's a little bit old, but he's, he's a little bit old for a guy who's never got into the big but leagues. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he's going to get a chance to to show them some stuff next spring. Um, well, I'm certainly willing to give him a look as much as Ryan Rua or Drew Robinson. Well, Ryan Rua, I, you know, I don't think Ryan Rua is going to be part of the picture here long term. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that Drew's going to be 27 next year. Right. So, you know, uh, and they're already two left-handed. Right. So, uh, you know, that may work against him. But I do, I do look at, I, I do just think that the what people need to understand about Willie Calhoun and, and not getting a whole lot of playing time is this. Willie Calhoun is left-handed. They're already two left-handed. They have significant left-handed hitters who need to continue to play in September. Mm. N- namely, Nomar Mazar and Joey Gallo. Nomar Mazar and Joey Gallo are both primarily right now corner outfielders. Yeah. Willie Calhoun is limited to playing left field. There's just not any places... And I think you and I have talked about this well before the season started, that how exactly does Willie Calhoun fit in here in the future mm-hmm. if he's if he's a left-handed hitter who's limited to playing left field? So I think that's something they're going to have to they're going to have to think about. I, I think the other part of it is you want to see you know Jerkson Profar now has almost 200 more at bats than he's had in any major league season. Right. They need to see. They need to see Profar finish. Well, absolutely, and especially I, I, if they're going to need a third baseman next. Well, year. right, and that's the he's to me is more important than Mazar and Gallo at this point because he potentially is your third baseman next year, and um, and I think they really need to get a good feel for that, and then and then next spring the same thing all over again, and then uh, if they bring him back, so I, I think that's uh, that's what they have to do. But let's let's look back at the Martin Perez thing because you and I had had kind of tossed this back and forth a little bit last week. I, I have to say. Uh, on on Twitter, uh, I have to say that I am um, uh, a little surprised if this is just uh, we're done, and I and I don't feel like it was because and the reason I say that is because tell me the last time that John Daniels released a statement saying we are not going to pick up the option of somebody in two months. Yeah, and I I, I also think there's there's some semantics involved there in. Whether when John talked to the agent and told him we're going to move Martine to the bullpen, uh, if the agent told Martine, well, you ask them about the future, or if John just threw this out, hey, by the way, we're not going to be, if things stand as they are now, we're not going to pick up your option. If it's the latter, I think that makes it much more um, likely that your point well, this is, you know, to try and light a fire under him. Right. Um, I think that that it's also important, and I think John, as he has moved into the GM's job uh, for over a decade now, understands that the idea of the only thing he owes players is honesty. Uh-huh. And the bottom line is that right now, 
you know, if you're moving Martin Perez to the bullpen, you're not going to pick up that option because he's not a $7 million player as a reliever for sure. And not as a reliever. No, you're not paying um, him $7 million. And no. I think even, you know, th- this is one of those cases where I thought I had thought all this through, thought I had played out all the scenarios. $7 million for a starter, even for a bad starter, that's, that's you know, market value at this point in time. But here's the deal. He's not going to get $7 million guaranteed from anybody next year. Okay? So – I don't know. I I don't know. I, I here's what I think. Left-handers are always an option and and especially when they can throw 94, 95. And and that is to me that is the scary thing about this. You say goodbye to Martin Perez and someone will take him and someone will fix him. And then, and then someone will take him. There's no guarantees about anybody getting fixed, but yeah, someone will. But take you know, him. And, and you know that was always the old. I remember this, that, you know, the old when I was a kid uh, uh, and talking about left-handers, and and I don't want, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea here. I'm not saying he's Sandy Koufax, but but left-handers uh, back then it felt like they always took longer to develop, you know, and like they it, 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 and why that would be, I don't know. But it, it seemed like that was the case, and so you waited on them. You you gave left-handers that that right. that uh, that friend because you needed them so much, and I just feel like that uh, Martin. I do feel like Martin is a little fragile mentally. I do feel like that he takes a lot of of um, coaching up. You know, uh, I think Eric Nadell had had promoted the, a theory that you know with the restriction on um, mound visits mm-hmm. that that's really hurt him you know early in the game uh, you know I, I could see that maybe that's a possibility here I, I'm not really sure um, but you know it, it, the way I look at it is this you got no other options right you know, you you got Mike Miner and nothing else. And right. how are you going to fill it? And you got a guy here that you could get for seven million dollars. Is that really that much of a, a you know of a well, cost? Well, you're spending nine million dollars on Matt Moore, who was a great big failure for you this year. He was, um, and and that and that's my point is that this is your guy. You would hate to for this guy to go someplace else, and then all of a sudden pitch well. You would look like the world's biggest idiot. Uh, if that, if that were to happen, especially when it's one thing if you're dumping a guy from a rotation that is a championship rotation, you're not it out. You know, in this rotation, no. Now here's here's the thing, I do feel like if the Rangers want to keep Martin Perez, mm-hmm. they can probably keep him next year for less than seven million dollars. Yeah, could they save a million or two, maybe even three, possibly? Well, well here's here's the issue for me though. Okay. Yeah. The bigger issue is if you don't pick up his option, mm-hmm. all right, then his contract, even if you re-sign him, unless you re-sign him to a, a, a one-year contract with an option for 2020, right? now there's there's this aspect of let's say Perez pitches well next year. Mm-hmm. Okay? Let's say he comes out, pitches well. You, again, have a stinker of a team, which right. you're probably going to have. Oh, absolutely. And – Clubs all of a sudden say, here's a 28-year-old left-hander who's finally figured it out, and he's got this year plus the option that's affordable at $9 million for 2020. Right. Um, I like that. There's some value. So he becomes a potential trade chip. Now, if you do away with this, if you tear up the the contract, even if you re-sign him, next year he's just basically a rental. Right. And the the value there is not going to be as great. This is just me – spitballing at this point in time yeah and, and and i think you know unless the rangers are so frustrated and there is reason to also understand 
this club's frustration because Martin Perez has started the 12th most games oh, in yeah. Rangers history. Yeah. He's gotten a lot of opportunities. No question. Um, the guy who's two spots ahead of him on the list, Darren Oliver, got a whole lot of, you know, he had one really promising year and then he kind of slid backwards. And Darren Oliver eventually became a very successful reliever. Um, but the I think they're two different guys, though. But at some point in time, at some point in time, you run out of you run out of chances. You do, uh, but but here's my, my thinking: is that and I it, don't think they're that different. Uh, well, I, I think they are mentally. Uh, I think they're D- Darren's a lot tougher. I never had the impression talking to Darren Oliver that. You know that he didn't completely have everything under control here. Martine always impresses you as a guy that is just right on the edge of having a oh, nervous I, breakdown. I, you know, I thought you were a. I thought you were talking stuff wise or pitching. No, 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 not not that um, at all. No, that's and that's the thing is. He's a great thing about Darren Oliver. The, the great thing about Darren Oliver is that he had he had a great mentality for pitching. Oh yeah, and that yeah. hey, I'm gonna go out there and do what I can do. And, That's why he lasted so long. And, you know, if you don't like it, uh, you can make whatever decisions you want, and it's not going to hurt me personally. I'll right. just do what I can do. No, he's a total pro. And that was the difference be- uh, between him and, and Perez at this point. Perez is not a bad kid. You know, uh, he's a good kid. Uh, but anyway, he, he's, uh, he, he's, he does a good job. I mean, from, from the standpoint of, of – uh, I don't mean to say he does a good job. He doesn't do a good job right now. But what he, but what he, but what he does, it, it is frustrating. I, I and I feel like though that this is their tough love approach. I have to believe that because just is what we, just what we talked about here. You've got no other options. This is the guy you have here. It's a, it's a very, it's a fairly cheap option. I realize you're exasperated, frustrated, whatever. I don't believe there's a guy in that clubhouse who thinks, man, this guy's killing us. You know. They got to get rid of this guy. It's not like he's a bad example. It's not like he's a guy who's not trying. I think he's trying. I just think he's mentally, he he just mentally, it's just difficult for him. And they need to find somebody who can reach him. And I think that is that is the key to the Rangers. Is up to it's almost up to them. And this guy's, you know, I'm not saying that about most players. You know, most players, it's up to you to, to do this. I, I really feel like Martin wants to be good, wants to be a great pitcher. He just struggles with it, and and he struggles with the demands of it, and and I think I, I don't think it means he can't do it. I, I just think that there's too much stuff there uh, to give up on him, and because I'm going to tell you right now, if he goes someplace else, I've not really said anything about Cole Hamels going up, the, going to Chicago and, and pitching really well, because I kind of figured this was what would happen. You know, he he was really good. When, of course, he was pitching pretty well for the Phillies. He threw a no hitter, but he he pitched really well when he came here. Yeah. He goes back to the National League. You know, it's not as tough a league. You know, there, there's a lot of things that go into all of that. In the, in the, in the, I have a the real theory on that too, and that I never got a sense in Cole Hamill's time here that he was ever completely comfortable facing American League lineups. Yeah, um, I, I think I, if, if you look back at his number nine hitters, yes, um, his numbers against number nine hitters, all of that. I, I I think factored into his his comfort level, which I think also impacted his conviction in his pitching uh, repertoire. Yeah. But I also do feel like, you know, the Cubs, and this is something the Rangers have to look at, is the Cubs gave him a ton of information when he got there. Yeah. Um, and I think that that uh, Cole also was at a point in time where he said, you know, I. 
I may not have a contract for next year. I've, I've got to be willing to accept some things. Um, was reinvigorated by going to a contender. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so a lot of things came, came together. I don't think the Rangers didn't try to fix them. I don't think the Rangers didn't have good messages for them. Uh, but I do think that, again, as we get to analytics, other clubs seem to have be somewhat of a step ahead of the Rangers. I think the Rangers are trying to beef up their analytics department. I think they're trying to beef up what they do analytically. But I think that, that other clubs have been a little bit ahead of them. Now, you look at some of Hamill's, Hamill's numbers, and I talked to a couple people this week and and asked them about, is he doing anything significantly differently in Chicago? And when I looked at... When I looked at some numbers, he was throwing a slider and the and, and the, the uh, one of the breaking pitches more and, and throwing the changeup a little bit more. And the Rangers had made a whole presentation to him during the off season on throwing the curveball, throwing throwing the breaking pitch, throwing it more often, um, why it would work for him. And I think Hamels went to spring training and again this is this is part of what I think set him backwards is He's a creature routine. He didn't feel comfortable with the field pitches, didn't feel comfortable with it, didn't take it into the season, went back to what he was comfortable with, mm-hmm. got lit up. Yeah. Um, the move to the National League gave him an opportunity to start fresh. Uh, you have to, just like with Rugnet Odor, you get to a point where you have to be willing to receive the information fair. Yeah, and you're right. And there's a number of factors here that could, you know, to talk about why he did what. I, I'm not surprised by it. And I think we decided some of those reasons. I, but I think it's certainly incumbent upon the Rangers to say, "Hey, if you're not self-evaluating, now, yeah, if you're not, you're, you're you got to say, why did this work for him? Correct. You know, that's what that's what John Daniels has to go to Jeff Bannister and to Doug Brokale and say, "Hey, w- I need to know why this all worked out for him. I want you to go look at all those numbers and how we're approaching our guys and what we're saying because, as it is now, you know, uh, who have they helped? Mm-hmm. You know, who who has taken a significant step forward?" Uh, you know, Jose Leclerc has, and and right now he's their their bright and shining star. So uh, that's what we got. That's what they've got to figure out is is uh, is that what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong, and and what happens from from well, this point forward. If, you know, if Perez doesn't end up back in a in a rotation here in the future, I mean, he's the last guy this organization right. produced. Well, he was their great, and he was their number one prospect forever. Mm-hmm. Going back to Ryan when he was here, and I can remember Nolan Ryan talking about Martin Perez, and saying he wasn't impressed with him, uh, and said just saying that he seemed like when he when he was throwing because at one point I I think wasn't there a time that Martin threw in the upper nineties? Did he throw ninety six, ninety seven? He he hit ninety six, yeah. Yeah, and he and he thought that that was special for a left hander. That and, and obviously it is, uh, but uh, he just kind of felt like he was just. But he also he had to dial that back a little bit because he had no command at ninety four, yeah. ninety six, and um, and then after the Tommy John, there's some theory that the that the changeup has never come back to what it really was before Tommy John. I think that I think it's easy right now in in hindsight. To try and analyze what went wrong. The problem is, okay, what can go right? You yeah. got to figure out what can go right. Yeah, no question. All right. Well, like we got David Moore wandering around out here somewhere. I just saw him a little while ago. Oh, he's in here? Yeah, he's in the studio. Oh, wow. He's coming in to talk Wowie, to us. Wow, wow, wow. So we're going to have him and talk about the Cowboys, and we're going and he's going to join us to talk about colleges as well. What are uh, we going to talk about on the colleges? On the colleges, well, you know, we're going to talk about the, those uh, the, the debuts of everybody. It didn't go so well locally. Uh, didn't go well. Well, it went well for UNT, 
They kind of trucked SMU, and but, uh, and but that was a debut also. Well, yeah, it was. See, that was a double that, debut. That was a double debut. Well, that was it was Sonny Dykes' debut, right. and then we had uh, also uh, Tom Herman going up to Maryland and losing up there uh, after losing to Maryland at home last year. Yeah. So Maryland's probably yeah, off the schedule from now on. I'm guessing. No. Week doesn't define anybody. No, that doesn't define. He even he even brought out Penn State and Appalachian State, which of course that was a shocker that that one uh, went into overtime before Penn State finally won. But I don't think you need to be bringing up anybody who actually won. You know, he at least Penn State won their game. Let me. Well, I would also say this that there's for just about in, in college football in particular. You can find some anomaly out there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. To pin things on, but there's a lot of college football games and a lot of college football seasons. So, I'd 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 steer clear of like finding that that needle in a haystack. Yeah, you don't we, you don't need to be pointing out other people. It's like you're 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 drowning out there. Don't reach for somebody else. All right, so uh, that does for our Rangers podcast for the day. Uh, we also, as we noted, have a Cowboys podcast coming up and a college podcast. So we hope you'll tune into those as well and uh, make sure you check those on iTunes. And uh, so for everybody in here, to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you.